I don't want to spend too much time before we actually get into the chapter tonight, but I, I do want to say a few words of introduction here tonight. Hopefully, you've been keeping up with the series and, and sort of know where we're at here in the story of, of Joseph, but, but Joseph has now ascended to be uh, second in power only to Pharaoh in Egypt. All that God had revealed to him when he was 17 years of, of age is now obviously a reality. And the thing we're going to see tonight is this. Joseph's ten brothers that had sold him into slavery and left him, in a sense, for dead, God is working on here. You see, these ten men, along with two others, are going to form the heads of the twelve tribes of Israel. And after all that these men had done, just like people today, God would have had every right to walk away from them and to sort of wash his hands and say, I'm done with you, I'm going to look to work with somebody else. God doesn't work that way. God pursues us and continues to go after us even though we are sinners and we are disobedient and we walk away from God and we rebel that God is always trying to bring us back because God wants us to know him and be a part of what he is doing. So here in this chapter, what we are seeing is that God is going to use both severity and grace to begin to awaken the consciences of these ten brothers, to get them, first of all, to confront them with the magnitude of their sin against Joseph, number one. They had to come to that realization. Two, they needed to be healed because they were still carrying around guilt from something that they had done 25 years earlier. And God wanted to set them free from living the rest of their life with this guilt of what they had done to their brother. And then third, he wanted to see this family restored. He wanted to see these relationships brought back together. Not only between Joseph and his brothers, but even between Jacob and his son, Joseph. So with that said, notice here again in chapter 42, just as Joseph predicted after interpreting the dream of Pharaoh that we saw last week, there were seven years of abundance and plenty, but that was followed by seven years of a severe famine. God was going to use this famine to bring Jacob's sons, these ten brothers, to their knees. Sometimes that's what God does in our lives. We can, we can disregard God, we can ignore God, we can go our own way, but sometimes, every once in a while, God will bring something so severe, so serious, that it cannot be ignored and God cannot be ignored. And He gets our attention. So we read here in chapter 42, verse 1, When Jacob heard there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why are you looking at each other? 
And if you study this, there's almost, though it's not, not funny at all, there is almost a humorous thing there in that they're all dying of starvation. I mean, it, it's bad, right? And here's the ten sons. I mean, they're grown men by this, and they just are sort of looking dumbfounded at each other like, you got something? No, I don't got it. You got anything? No, I don't got anything. Yeah, and they're just sort of looking at each other. They don't know where to look. They, they don't know who to look to. And obviously, at this point, they're certainly not looking to God to help them out. And the interesting thing here is, in this word look, is the concept of spiritual vision, of having vision. And on a positive side of this, God wants us to have spiritual vision, to be able to see, to be able to know where to look for things. It's why the Bible tells us where there is no vision, the people perish. And God wants to develop vision into his people. These ten men were looking at each other like, you got anything? I I don't got anything. What what are we going to do? And obviously Jacob, the father, says, here's what we need to do. You guys need to get out of here. And you need to go down to Egypt because I've heard there's grain there. And so he says, go down there, verse 2, buy grain for us so that we may live and not die. Now the one word in those first couple of verses that would have been a time bomb to these ten brothers was the word Egypt. Think about it. For 25 years, they sort of wanted never to hear about Egypt. Because the last thing that they had any sort of connection with Egypt about was they knew that that's where Joseph was being sold as a slave. So you can imagine, it's like, are you kidding me? It's like the one place we don't want to go back to because it reminds us, it it pricks our, it reminds us of what we did to our brother is Egypt, and now we're going to have to go back there. And I'm sure some of them, if not all of them, thought, what if we run into him? What, what if we see him? How? Because for all practical purposes, they're, they're either thinking either he's dead by now or he's still a slave somewhere in Egypt. The last place these ten men wanted to go was Egypt. But that's where they were going to be sort of forced to go because of the famine. And what, again, this is telling us is that that there are times in our life where God loves us so much. And we don't realize that the pathway to our healing and wholeness is actually to, to be confronted with something that we're actually trying to run from. And so God, in His love and in His grace, will at times almost sort of corral us to a point where we are forced to face something and deal with it because God understands that's the only way healing and wholeness is going to happen. That's the only way that these men could ever be set free from the guilt that they had over what they did to Joseph was by, in a sense, dealing with it. And they weren't ever going to deal with it as long as they were in Canaan. They needed to go to Egypt. And obviously God knew when they went there, they were going to see their brother. And they were going to have to deal with this thing that they have been trying to sweep under the rug and ignore for a long time. 
Each of us throughout our lives, based upon some of the things we've done, have these sort of time bomb things. These people or faces or names or places that just, when they're mentioned, they just set something off in us. That was Egypt to these ten men. It was the last place they wanted to go. And yet, if they wanted to survive the famine, they had to go to Egypt. So ten of Joseph's brothers, verse 3, went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, what if some accident happens to him? So Israel's sons came to buy grain among the other travelers, for the famine was severe In the land of Canaan. Again, that word severe is important because, again, it is a reminder that you're going to see here in this chapter that God uses severity and grace to awaken our consciences and bring us to repentance. He'll use both. Now, I want to go back to verse 4. What we see here is that this man, Jacob, who at one time was a man of faith, has now succumbed to fear. We know that because of the first two words that he uses there of why he will not send Benjamin with his brothers. What if? What if? You and I know when we are being controlled by fear, whenever in our lives we use those words. Well, what if this? And what if that? God doesn't want us to live by what ifs. When we use that terminology, that is actually an expression of fear. God wants us to live by faith. But obviously we see a great example here again of what we've been even talking about on Sunday throughout Hebrews, that one time Jacob was very close to God earlier on in his life and was living by faith. But now through the circumstances of life, he has become a man who is now living in fear. And it's because he has lost a lot. But instead of trusting God through his loss, he has become very pessimistic, very negative, very bitter, very resentful, and very fearful. And the more he tries to hold on to Benjamin, what he doesn't realize that you and I need to realize in our lives is the more God is going to try to pry his grip away from Benjamin. Because God, more than anything, wants us to get to a place in our life where we will let go of whatever we are thinking we have control over and whatever we are are not wanting to let go of and basically put it in God's hands and trust Him. And obviously Jacob didn't do that with Benjamin. And again, humanly speaking, humanly speaking, we can all understand where Jacob is coming from here. He already lost, as far as he's concerned, his beloved son, Joseph. So he doesn't want to lose Benjamin. 
I've shared with some of you before my story, and I don't, I don't want to go into a lot of it, but I've shared with you how I so appreciated my parents and how they dealt with me because if you know this story at all, you know that my parents lost two children, my brother and sister, before I was born. My brother died when he was four. My sister died when she was two years of age of a rare disease. And the doctors at that time advised my parents not to have even any more children. And my parents prayed, and they really felt like the Lord wanted them to have another child, which I always say, I'm glad they listened to God. But the the thing that I want to get to is, if any parents had a right, if you will, from a human perspective, to be very overprotective of a child, it would have been my parents with me. And my parents were never that way. Just like the other two, they felt like this child is God's. We're going to give him to God. We're going to trust this child to God. And whatever happens, we're going to trust God. We're not going to try to, you know, hover over Jeff all his life and prevent something bad from happening. Because again, what God wants us to do is to get to a place where, in spite of maybe the losses and things that we experience, that we still trust him. Jacob had obviously lost that. Verse 6. Now Joseph was the ruler of the country, literally the governor. The one who sold grain to all the people of the country. And Joseph's brothers, notice now, came and bowed down before him with their faces to the ground. Exactly what Joseph had shared with his brothers years earlier now was coming to pass just as God said it would. You remember back in Genesis 37 when Joseph is this young man of 17 years of age. Remember, he's all excited about the dreams God has given him. And he gathers his brothers around and says, Hey, brothers, I've got this dream. One day in this dream, you know, I'm this sheep that rises up and and I see that you all are bowing down to me. And of course, we, we know that they didn't, you know, like that too well. But the point I want to make is that it happened just as God said it would. They did come, and they did bow down before their brother. The reason why this point is important is because, again, it is a reminder that everything that God says in his word is going to happen just as God said. To the very letter, Jesus said, heaven and earth, will pass away, my words will not pass away. Not even one accent mark is going to be, you know, deleted until all that God has said is fulfilled. And so the Bible now has told us that there is coming a day in the future where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. Now, Obviously, the majority of people on earth, just like the brothers, it ain't happening. I ain't never going to bow to anybody. Yeah, you will. 
Because God said you will. And just as God revealed that these men would come one day and bow before Joseph, it is just as sure that one day everyone in heaven, everyone on earth, everyone under the earth will bow their knee and confess with their tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord. I hope that that encourages you. Because as we have been talking about even again in the book of Hebrews, the reason as we sung tonight about why we have hope is because we believe, have the conviction, have the confidence that everything that God said he would do, he will do. And this is another example of it in scripture. Now the Bible says when Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger. He did not acknowledge that he knew them. In fact, the Bible says he spoke harshly or severely to them. He asked, where do you come from? They answered, from the land of Canaan, to buy grain for food. Many people wonder why Joseph treated his brothers the way he did. Had Joseph built up a bunch of anger and bitterness and resentment and now it was time for revenge? No. But here's what Joseph did know. Joseph knew that he was to be an instrument of God here in his brother's lives. And that God did want to use the position that he was in in Egypt to be a part of bringing his brothers to repentance and awakening their conscience. And so I believe that Joseph was on board with what God, part of what God was doing. Joseph could have actually been a lot harder on his brothers if he really wanted to be. He could have had them put to death. But I think we see here that even in this, Joseph is very gracious to his brothers. But make no mistake about it. The last time Joseph saw these men would have been at least 25 years ago. Because remember... You take the timeline here. He was 17 when he first had the dream. Then the Bible told us last week he was 30 when he became sort of the governor of Egypt. But then you've got to add the seven years of abundance. And now somewhere they're in the seven years of famine. So when you add that all up, Joseph is now maybe around 40 years of age. So it's been a long time since Joseph has even seen his brothers, which is one of the reasons why his brothers didn't recognize him. To go from 17 to almost 40 and to think the last time they saw him, he was probably looked like he was near death. And now here is this confident man standing in front of them, speaking Egyptian, a foreign language, not speaking their language, and all dressed in Egyptian garb and someone of great power and and great confidence. I can totally understand why they would have not known that this was their brother. But, The last time Joseph had any dealings with these men, we know what happened. They left him for dead and then sold him into slavery. And so there was trust, needless to say, trust that was broken in that relationship. You and I have all been through relationships in our life where trust has been broken. And so one of the other things that we see that's very important in this passage is that 
Joseph, just like us, should not just, when we have an opportunity to maybe, uh, you know, begin to heal that, if, if, if that's going to be healed, is to go back and just start all over as if nothing ever happened. Because again, that, that doesn't do anything. That doesn't heal anything. That doesn't, that doesn't set anybody free or make anybody whole. That trust needs to be earned back. And part of what Joseph was doing here was he didn't know whether he could trust them yet or not. He didn't know, did they do the same thing to Benjamin that they've done to me? Is my father still alive? So he's going to, in a sense, covertly try to find out the condition of his own family and where they are. Can they be trusted? Have they changed? Or are they the same dirty, rotten scoundrels that threw him into the pit and sold him as a slave into Egypt? He needs to find this out. That's why we read then in verse 8, Joseph recognized his brothers, but did not, they did not recognize him. And then the Bible says in verse 9, very importantly, Joseph remembered the dreams he had dreamed about them, and he said to them, you are spies and have come to see if our land is vulnerable. Now the word remembered here is a key word in this passage as well. It, it doesn't just mean, oh, yeah, you're bowing down to me, just as God said, and, and sort of like a pride thing. No, it was not that at all. The word has two sort of prongs of meaning here. The first is that Joseph literally became overwhelmed by just how amazing God is. That it was like, oh my goodness, this did happen exactly as God revealed to me it would happen. My, my brothers just bowed. I would have never, I would have never thought this scenario and, and how God, and it was almost like Joseph, as he remembered it, was again overwhelmed by just how amazing God is that he was able to bring all this about in spite of what his brothers intended to do to him. So that, that's one of the things here. But the other thing that this word is implying in meaning is that when Joseph remembered that dream, it was to remind him of the privilege and the responsibility that he had because he was in the position that he was in. That God did not spare his life and be with him through all that he went through in Egypt and allow him to be in this very powerful position to serve himself or to get lifted up in pride. That the reason why God put him through all the things that he put him through was so that Joseph would be humble and realize that when God gave him this position and gave him that power, that he would use it to serve others. And that he would use it to bring glory to God. And that he also now saw that he again, not was going to be the whole part of it, but that he was going to be a piece of what God was going to do to bring his brothers to their knees. And it began to just blow him away. By the way, as I meditated on this and contemplated this, a quote from Abraham Lincoln came to mind, who said that one time, he says, most men can handle adversity. What most men can't handle is power. And what you have here is a reminder, even from Joseph, that he recognized, oh my goodness, I'm in a place of great power and privilege and responsibility. 
I better not mess this up. I better do this right. So the Bible says, they exclaim, No, my Lord, verse 10, Your servants have come to buy grain for food. We are all the sons of one man. And here we go. We are honest men. I'm sure Joseph at that point was like, I'm going to slap you. Honest? You dirty, rotten scoundrels. You, you haven't changed much, have you? Because you went back and told Dad that, you know, probably gave him, a, a, you know, I don't know what, but honest, really? I got some words for you, but honest would not have been one I would have used. Your servants are not spies. No, he insisted, but you've come to see if our land is vulnerable. They replied, your servants are from a family of 12 brothers. And here we go. Joseph wants to find out, will they even acknowledge him at all? And they do. He says, we are the sons of one man in the land of Cain. The youngest is with our father at the time. And one is no longer alive. Literally, one is no more. He doesn't exist. In their minds... They didn't know for sure whether Joseph was dead or not, but in their minds, they sort of checked that box off and just put him out like he doesn't exist. God doesn't let us get away with that. Maybe for 25 years, yes, but God, in order to heal us and make us whole, is not going to let us go through all of our life until we are going to be confronted with the things that are hanging over us like clouds. Because the only way to healing and wholeness is to confront these things. As the Bible says, He that covers his sin shall not prosper, but he that confesses and forsakes his sin will be blessed. And that's what God was doing by bringing these men to their knees. So Joseph told them in verse 14, It is just as I said to you, you are spies and you will be tested in this way. In fact, in verse 16, he says, One of you must go and get your brother while the rest of you remain in prison. In this way, your words will be tested. And that's what needs to happen in relationships where trust has been broken. There needs to be a testing time. The ones who broke the trust need to prove themselves reliable, dependable, and trustworthy after they've broken that trust. And that's exactly what God was going to do here by using Joseph. If someone in your life has broken trust, then they need to earn that trust back over time. You can forgive them instantaneously because in that sense, you're just saying that the ultimate consequences of your sin is up to God. I'm not going to be the one to seek revenge and to take a pound of your flesh for what you've done to me. But that doesn't mean that in forgiveness, I just act like nothing ever happened and we just go back to as if everything's okay and that, you know, we just resume as normal. No, that's not biblical. And so even in this story of Joseph and his brothers, God is showing us what we should do when this happens to us. And then I love this in verse 17. 
It says, he imprisoned them all for three days, and on the third day, Joseph said to them, do as I say, and you will live, for I fear God. Now, why that's so significant is here's this high-ranking Egyptian official, second only in power to Pharaoh, and he's standing before these Hebrews, and he's saying to them, I fear your God, Elohim, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and your father, Jacob. What would that, I mean, what Joseph was trying to do there was saying, you don't need to fear me. I'm just asking you to trust me. Because I fear God. I honor and respect him. I'm sure again now that's what started probably them. Wow. Again, not knowing it was Joseph, their brother. We've come all the way down to Egypt and we're standing before the governor of Egypt and he's telling us, Hebrews, that he fears our God. Pretty cool. If you are honest men, leave one of your brothers confined here in prison while the rest of you go back and take grain back for your hungry families. But you must bring your youngest brother to me. Then your words, and here's the next key word, will be verified and you will not die. And they did as he said. See, they had to go through a test of, are they going to be trustworthy or not? Are they honest at this point? Are they upright men? Can they be trusted? And Joseph just didn't, they had to have things verified. If you and I break trust with somebody, then it is totally acceptable for them to ask for verification for a while. When others break trust with us, it's okay for us to ask for verification, confirmation. Because that, that's how that whole process takes place of rebuilding that trust. And that's exactly what Joseph was going through here with his brothers. Again, because he didn't know what they were like at this point. Could they be trusted? Now notice in verse 21. They said to one another, Surely we're being punished because of our brother. The words literally mean we're guilty. We're at fault. So now all of a sudden, some 25 years after they sold him into slavery, guess what? You're seeing the reality of their conscience is still bothering them about that. They, they try to stuff it. They've tried to ignore it. They've tried to, you know, pretend like everything's okay. But they, you can't, you and I can't do that. The only way a human being is able to be set free is when we come to God, acknowledge our sin, accept His forgiveness and His grace, and allow the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse us. That's when the guilt 
and the shame and all of that that we have done can then be released. These men had never done that. They had never acknowledged and come to grips with what they had done to their brother. And that's why this chapter is so important in the story of Joseph. Because even though it's more about his brothers than it is him, it is a reminder to all of us very powerfully of how God will bring something back into our lives until we deal with it. Because again, out of love, God knows we really cannot make advance or progress until we've confronted this thing and dealt with it. And that's what they were beginning to do. Their consciences were beginning to awaken. Now they're saying, all this stuff that's happened to us, it's because of what we did to Joseph. In fact, notice what they said. Because we saw how distressed he was when he cried to us for mercy, but we refused to listen. That is why this distress has come on us. Reuben said to them, didn't I say to you, don't sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen. Twice. We didn't listen. That's usually the characteristic of those that we get into trouble with God. It's when we're not willing to listen. When we're not willing to listen to God's word, when we're not willing to listen to godly counsel, when we're not willing to listen to God's voice, when we're not willing to listen to the Holy Spirit, when we get to a place where we are not willing to listen, the Bible says we are a fool. That's what the book of Proverbs is all about. The fool in the book of Proverbs is not someone who's uneducated, unintelligent. The fool in the book of Proverbs is someone who will not listen who won't accept correction and instruction, who won't take advice, who isn't teachable, the Bible calls that person a fool. And they are now recognizing their foolishness in the fact that they weren't willing to listen. And because of that, they're in this mess. And then, notice in verse 22, they say, so now we must pay for shedding his blood. Because that's a reminder that, yeah, you know what? There is going to be a payday. There's always a payday. God says, you and I reap what we sow. There's always going to be some kind of consequence or ramification, good or bad, for whatever choices and decisions we make. But we cannot escape the payday or the payback or the return or the recompense, good or bad, for whatever we do. As we saw a couple weeks ago in Hebrews, God is not unjust. He will not forget any good thing that we do. He will reward us for that. But we also don't escape the other things either. There's there's a payment for it. There's a cost to it. In some respect. In fact, very interestingly, in the original Hebrew here, the word pay also means to care for or care about. Which really brings to light their sin against their brother. In other words what they are acknowledging is this. We didn't care for or care about our brother, but guess what? We care for and care about him now. He wasn't a priority to us before, but he is now. What we didn't care about earlier, we care about now. Now they did not know that Joseph could understand them, for he was speaking through an interpreter. He turned away from them and wept. When he turned around and spoke to them again, he had Simeon taken from them and tied up before their eyes. 
Then Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to return each man's money to his sack, and to give them provisions for their journey. And his orders were carried out. In verse 25, we really do see the heart of Joseph. Because guess what? Joseph was an illustration of Romans 12, 21. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Here's where you see the balance of severity and grace in this chapter. Yeah, there was famine, it was severe. But now, they're headed back to their father And all the money that they spent, it's going to be given back to them. Joseph's going to take care of it. They have all that they need to get back home. And he's even filling their bags with grain for the family back there as well. And so we see the true heart of Joseph. I want to end, though, in just a few verses. Hang in there with me. In verse 27... When one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey at their resting place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack, and he said to his brothers, My money was returned. Here it is in my sack. And they were actually dismayed, even though, wow, you know, we didn't have to pay for it. But again, they saw it as, uh uh-oh, we've been accused of being spies. Now we're going to be accused of being a thief. See that guilty conscience? Everything good or bad that happens, guess where that guilty conscience always goes? See, that's what happens to people who have guilty consciences. They turned trembling one to another and said this, What in the world has God done to us? Let me say this in closing. This is the first time in the story that the brothers mention God. But the good thing is that their aroused consciences began to see that God was at work behind what they were experiencing. And that's what God wanted to get them to see. Yes, He was bringing them to their knees and it was going to be a process. Before Joseph could be reconciled to his brothers, they had to go through a process of contrition. They had to come to grips with what they did and they had to be willing to acknowledge it. Not only to God, but to Joseph too. They weren't there yet, but they were getting there. And so we're going to see the conclusion of this process next week. Before we close tonight, God may want to heal you and make you whole. But in order to do that, just like these brothers, maybe you or even someone you know, you've got to come back and deal with this thing. Because until that's really dealt with and packed away properly, that thing will hang over you like a cloud. And God doesn't want that. God wants to set us free. God doesn't want us to live with the guilt of something all our lives. That drags us down. That weighs us down. God wants us to be able to be free. And then, 
let's not live in fear. Let's not live with the what-ifs of life. Let's learn to trust God in the, in the gains and in the losses. You know, we sing that worship song, He gives and takes away. And we sing that so casually, but do we mean that? That God, if you give, but also if you take away, we'll continue to just believe and trust in you? For Jacob, it turned. The very adversity that drew Joseph closer to God was the very thing that turned Jacob away from his God. May we be and learn to be like Joseph and not be like Jacob. Before we close in prayer, an important reminder for next week. We're going to have an ice cream social next week. So uh, please come a few minutes early. Load up that big chocolate or vanilla sundae with all the toppings and goodies. It's all calorie free. And just dream about the little cherry on top. Until next week. Bring somebody with you. It'd be a good good Wednesday to invite a friend to come with you and say, hey, come for the spiritual food, but also come for the ice cream sundaes next week as well. Yes. No. 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 Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are. And that God, you love us so much. That you bring us to places, Lord, where we need to deal with things we need to deal with. Because you want us to be a free people. A people that don't live with guilt and shame. Whose consciences are constantly bothering them. God, you want us to live in a, in a much healthier spiritual place. And so just like Joseph's brothers, God, help us to continually be there. To be willing, as John says, to confess our sins regularly and continually. Because you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We claim that cleansing tonight, Lord, through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we pray that all of us, God, would seek out that cleansing that can only come through you. Take us all home safely tonight, God. Excite us with anticipation of getting back together again on Sunday to worship together and to hear your word. And Lord, make this week, the rest of this week, very spiritually profitable. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.